Gentlemen, uh, welcome. We are at the Career Pro Inc. podcast Blab. I guess we're calling it. We could have even cooler names than that, but I think I think Blab's still pretty cool. Uh, it's still a startup phase, but we like the uh, content that's generated today. We're here with Dr. Gary McGrath with Staterius, and you can spell that for us in just a second, Gary. And then we're with Peter Agiovlasides, uh, known far and wide as an expert in sales, marketing, and communications. He is on the board of the American Marketing Association Triangle Chapter. And Gary has spoken to the American Marketing Association Triangle Chapter and and done some really good stuff there. So, uh, uh, Gary, let's start with you. Uh, Introduce yourself just a little bit more. Give people a little more context. Uh, I I don't know if you want to let the cat out of the bag, but I'm going to do it. You have forthcoming a new book that I'm just reading and commenting on now. I'm really excited about that. I'd love you to say a word about that, your your current book. And then, Peter, I'd like you to introduce yourself, too. And uh, let's get right into the subject, which is stop imitating and start originating. And we'll, we'll, we'll ask Gary to come back after you introduce yourself, Peter, to give us a little context on that idea that we tabled at lunch at North Hills Mall in Raleigh, North Carolina, just this week, folks. <laughs> Dr. McGrath, please give us a little background. Oh, uh, I, I guess I'm on a journey. Uh, when people ask me what I do, I always ask them if they've ever had a bad boss. And typically we get a, oh, yeah, uh-huh. So uh, I get rid of them. Um, I'm committed to getting rid of them because I, quite frankly, I uh, dislike bad bosses uh, a lot. Um, and I, I probably was one at some time. We're all learning how to be better bosses, better leaders, and it takes a long time and a lot of effort and uh, a lot of focus. So um, the, when people say, well, how do I do that? It, it's pretty simple. We either get them into a new position where they can do well or um, teach them to be good. And if we can make them good, then we can make good bosses. And then uh, my real passion in life is to uh, make good bosses and great leaders. So that's, that's my mission. That's awesome. And tell us about the uh, the books uh, as they are now, uh, and 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 a little bit about Staterius. And then I want I want Peter to jump in and introduce himself. And then I'm going to come back and and let's put some parameters around stop imitating and start originating. Well, Staterius is uh, Latin for balanced or to stand firm. And uh, people, as as you know, John, knowing me for a while, there's there's a thought behind almost everything I do. And there's research behind everything I do. And uh, my recent book, uh, A CEO's Journey, uh, A Path on the uh, Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership, uh, outlines a a CEO's struggle with his organization and how they're falling apart and his personal life is falling apart. And it it gives an example of a a parable of a story of uh, a CEO and, and many of us that are at work and struggling with balancing life and balancing work and trying to figure this whole thing out. And it's that much harder for leaders, people that are in leadership positions. And uh, the balance of the extra effort, the extra time that it takes to lead, uh, to organize, to manage, and to role model, uh, and then have to support the home, uh, the children, the wife, or the uh, spouse, the, uh, the husband, whatever whatever situation that we're in, it's a, it's a struggle. And, it is. Well, you know, that's good. Uh, Peter, let's go to you. And I'd like to introduce yourself. You've been with some uh, some of the top uh, 
companies in North Carolina. I know, like Gary, like myself, we are uh, transplanted Northerners who now live in North Carolina. But uh, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I started my career up in New York at a place called Gray Advertising and then uh, came down here. My wife had a job opportunity down here. And I said, what am I going to do in Raleigh, North Carolina? And it turns out that the largest ad agency in the Southeast was here. It's called McKinney and Silver back then, and now it's called McKinney. So I spent my career in advertising and marketing. And what I do now is I help companies with their uh, marketing efforts and also brand expansion and new business development. Excellent. And you are a pro on Blab. You've got your own show as well. And I always like tuning into that. You do a great job. So Dr. Gary McGrath, uh, stop imitating and start originating. Uh, give us your original thoughts on that, uh, that we kind of brainstormed uh, at Sam's or Sammy's, something like that out there. They haven't, they haven't sponsored the uh, Blab yet, so we're not going to mention their name. However, okay. <laughs> Nestle New Life is right here. Uh, <laughs> Pure Life. Uh, go ahead, Gary. Well, you know, it's it's. I, I went into my uh, my bookshelf, as you can see right behind me. I've got a couple of leadership books here, and um, the, the most recent one by Sidney Finkelstein, which I'm going to be doing a workshop tomorrow for uh, Robert Half, is called Super Bosses. Mm -hmm. And I, and I found this fascinating because he he, he uh, takes a look at 18 highly effective leaders in the different industries like Mary Kay Ash and uh, Bill Walsh of the NFL um, and, and uh, does a qualitative analysis of what they do to build their, their, uh, uh, their leadership team. And then I, I started thinking about some other ones. Here's one on uh, Admiral Shackelford, the leading edge on uh, his survival uh, of Antarctica. Um, here's uh, uh one of the great ones uh, by Warren Bennis on uh, what uh, becoming a leader. And then, and then there's some recent ones. Here's another recent one by Simon Sinek, uh, Leaders Eat Last. And, and that was fascinating because I was talking to a leader about Leaders Eat Last, and he said to me, this is really amazing. This is based primarily on military leadership. Now, having been an Army captain and in command myself, I didn't find this, this uh, unusual at all, that Leaders Eat Last. Because here's the thing. Let me ask anybody out there that might think about this. If you're in a critical situation, let's say like war, and uh, your life is threatened, do you think the people that are around you need to trust each other? Yeah. I think that that would be important. So what do we do? We make sure that we take care of our people. We take care of them in all things. And the first thing you want to take care of your soldiers is that they eat. And that they eat first and that they're taken care of. So if something happens and we got to run, we run because the, they are taken care of. He, As a business leader, he found that fascinating. He always thought of this hierarchical, uh, very uh, dictatorial leadership style that you have in the military. And that's a misconception. But here's the thing about stop imitating and start originating. As we look at all of these leaders that we may have, looked at in life, uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, Mary Kay Ash, uh, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Martin Luther King. You can go down the list of all these great leaders and you can read books about them and you can understand what they do and how they do it. And we often talk about if you want to be great, emulate these leaders. Right. There's nothing wrong with emulating them. But here's the thing. If you want to be Nelson Mandela, you're going to have to spend 27 years in prison. If you want to be uh, Mother Teresa, you're going to have to give up your entire life 
to her religious practice, go to India and live with the poor. I'm, I'm not Mother Teresa, and I'm not Martin Luther King, and I'm not Abraham Lincoln. I'm Gary McGrath. So the idea here is originate and create your own leadership style. It's about leadership, not leaders. Learn a model of leadership. Learn a path of leadership that works for you, that you can emulate the process and the path and create from the inside out who you are. And that original, authentic person that will come out will be able to influence and affect other people, whether you're in a leadership position or not. So to reiterate just very briefly, you're suggesting the leaders do a lot more of focusing on the learning a process that will work for them, not imitating the behaviors or what they perceive as the personality quirks of Vince Lombardi or even one of my first uh, influences, my sister, who was my McDonald's manager, even though I should have imitated a lot of her behaviors and communication style. But but that's a little bit of what you're saying. Is that about right? Exactly. Exactly. So let me turn to Peter and ask you, what's your take on this? Should we, uh, on on leadership, you've led big marketing projects with very large companies, been on, on the pressure seat, worked with a lot of different leaders. How does this resonate with you? Well, it resonates with me because, you know, old school leaders in the corporate world you just used to beat up on people. You got to get this done. You got to get that. Yeah, you, you have to get this done by this time and, and have that done right. And uh, uh, most of the time they just, here's, here it is, get it done. And uh, got any questions, don't ask. So, but that's, that's not a good way to lead. So uh, one of the things I, I like is what you, you talked about the uh, leaders eat last. It's true because you have to show, you have to lead by example. So if you don't lead by example, then how how is your how's your team go, going to know what to do and what's the expectation? And what are what are a couple of uh, practices that you use? And I'd like Gary to comment on that uh, in your leadership style that that is that have worked for you. You're a guy out of New York. You can be tough mm-hmm. like like you got to be sometimes. But what's worked for you in coaching others, mentoring others, developing others in your leadership roles? Uh, for me, number one is expectations. Make sure that everybody's on the same page and they're reaching for the for the same goal. Because if you don't get that done, that done, your team could be going one direction, you could be going in another, and by the time you find that, it's way too late, and you have one very unhappy client. So uh, that's number one. Number two is make sure your team has the tools and resources they need to do the job. A lot of times, they, they don't have the right things. I remember... Uh, you know, a lot of times we were expected to do things and we didn't have enough uh, computer capability or uh, enough research to do the right things because uh, the company didn't want to spend the money. And at the end of the day, that's not a good way to approach. You have to spend money on resources and, and things for people to get the job done. In the military, Gary, if, if I remember, a lot of the complaints uh, of the troops that I have seen through career pros offices who have left uh, the military uh, were just simply getting spare parts and having the tools they needed to do the job they were asked to do. Uh, I think as a former military officer myself and you, uh, the same, you can comment on that. But I also know you're chomping at the bit, and that's really good stuff, Peter, 
to talk about uh, maybe a process that you've used and are you're using with some of the leaders that you have, or maybe there is something that I know you're fidgeting there when, when uh, Peter was talking about some of the things that go on that aren't going well and aren't done right still today, that, that kind of harsher style that people think works. What do you have to say about that? And could you give us a little insight into your process? No, the, the harsher style is just easy. Okay. It, it's don't my way or the highway. It's easy. It doesn't require any skill. Uh, what Peter is talking about, by the way, are the first two in first break, all the rules. The first time I read this book, are the first two um, uh, items in the 12 questions of engaged employees. Do I know what's expected of me at work? And do I have the materials and equipment to do my job? Well, and, and there's 10 others. And, and Peter's right on. What I've found is, for example, when Peter, Peter says something like this, and, and, and we all say it, we need to be clear about what's expected. Okay, that's a what. People want to learn a what? Read any of these books. Read the Tao Leadership. Read on becoming a leader. Read, the, read all these books, and you can find the what. That's not the challenge. The challenge is the how. How do I clarify the expectations? Exactly what are they in terms of roles, goals, responsibilities? Uh, attendance at meetings, how we're going to talk to each other, how we're going to communicate. It's having the clarity all the way down to the interaction of the relationships on these things, the how we treat each other that is so important in leadership. And again, that comes from the inside out. So my model of the seven steps of intentional leadership uses a, a, a seven-step model where the first four steps have to do with building my capabilities and my authenticity by understanding who I am with a personal mission statement, what my mi mindset is in terms of growth and fixed mindsets, what my emotional intelligence, my strength, and my ability to organize my priorities. If I can do those things as an individual contributor, I can then contribute to a team. The first step in leadership development is learning how to follow. And, and um, I, I think about this quite often. We, we talk about leadership and parenting. Oh, yeah. All right. So we've all been children, right? We've all experienced parents that we thought did a good job at one time, did a horrible job at others. And how many of us said, I'm not going to do that when I grow up. I'm not going to do that when I'm a parent. And yet, because it's the only way we know how, we as parents end up becoming our parents. We don't <laughs> always understand the better skills and approaches. And once we learn to be able to open our mind up to new options, I'm, I'm going to give you one example of this because Peter said it. In the old school as a dictator, people say, okay, Peter, you got to get this done now. Go do it. I was in a classroom where the guy said that very thing, and he says, well, when my boss says I got to do it, I got to do it. And I said, really? Okay, hold on to that thought. We brainstormed 18 other options, 18 from delegating up, from procrastinating, from quitting our job. There were options. Leadership capability and understanding this as teams is about understanding and communicating options and then making the best choice now is the best choice most of the time doing what the boss asks you to do probably sure but the guy came up to me afterwards and he said you know the reason i always just did it was because i don't know how to negotiate i don't know how to communicate other expectations i don't know how to delegate i don't know how to influence another team member to bring them in and help me so i just do it very nice. Peter, any parallels to you that you see in sports, parenting? I think the wheels are turning for you as well here 
as Gary's talking uh, about some of what we're talking about right now. Well, I this this may be off off beat, but I was I was just in the car with my daughter. I had to pick her up from school and bring her somewhere, and uh, she just bought a car. She's sixteen in high school, and she bought a very nice Volkswagen Passat used car, and she paid for it cash with her money. Nice. Nice, right? <laughs> okay. She's around school, and everybody sees the car. They says, oh, your parents gave you a nice car, didn't they? And he says, no, that's my parents didn't give me anything. I bought that with my money. And they're all, like, shocked. But what, what do you mean your parents didn't buy you this car? And I said, no. My parents told me if I wanted a car, I had to go buy it. Mm-hmm. And this is really nice. And, and <laughs> so it was something that, you know, is strange because, you know, we, we live in an area where everybody's buying brand new BMWs for the little kids in high school because they got their driver's license and everything. And is that the right right thing to do? So I think for my daughter, it showed her what leadership is, you know. You you st- you don't have to do the same thing that the crowd is doing. You stepped out, did something different, and you feel good about it. You and, know, and that's a leader. And it started with an expectation that if you want a car, you're going to have to pay for it yourself. Mm-hmm. All right, it goes right back to what you said before, Peter. It starts with clear expectations. I did the same thing with both of my sons. The expectation was that they had to pay for their own college degree. They had to figure it out. After two sons going to great colleges, I ended up with about a $6,000 bill. That's not bad for eight years of college. <laughs> that is really good. That is really good. What's, what's some other insights of what do you see leaders doing now, bosses, that you would think they shouldn't be doing, but they're still doing it, uh, and you would like to have those either bosses eliminated or changed? What, what, what's the epidemic out there that we have to treat now if there is one? I mean, do you see a, a, a void in leadership or a void in leadership in the, in the generations coming forward? What are you seeing, Dr. McGrath? I know you do a lot of research for your books. I do, and uh, we continue to make the same problems over and over and over again. It's the definition of insanity. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this over to Peter when I just say this one thing. How often, Peter, do you see in your sales practice – them promoting the top salesperson. I know where you're going, Peter. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, most of the time, because they're the biggest uh, producer, so they reward the producer. And they must know how to do it, right? They Well, they're pretty successful at it, yeah. so of course, they're doing something right. So we do it for all the wrong reasons. And they are doing something right. They're really good at sales. But managing and supervising and leading requires a completely different set of skills. The most important set, as we were talking about your original question, uh, is is this, John, uh, answering your question. Coaching, listening, asking questions, and delegating are some of the key skills that are necessary. Okay? When I talk to salespeople, and my first book was titled Mastering Sales Leadership, Learning to Herd Cats. And I asked people the same question that would come into me when I would be hiring salespeople and interviewing them. What's the most important skill of a salesperson? And almost universally, they would give me the wrong answer. 
and say it's listening. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> the right answer is questioning. If you don't organize an, an interview for your sales call and help un uncover some problems that as a salesperson you can solve, then you could be a great listener, listen to somebody for an hour, talk about their fishing trip, their vacation, their children, and we say, I'm building the relationship, never ask a question, be a great listener, and get nowhere in the sale. The real key is asking questions. Well, guess what? If we teach salespeople that skill, we can teach top salespeople to be great leaders as well. Because the most important skill of a manager or supervisor is questioning. Questioning and listening. And with questioning and listening, you can become a great coach. And when you become a great coach, you can assess competency so that eventually you can delegate. That's why those skills are so important. And by the way, how often does a salesperson delegate? It's hard for them. They have to own <laughs> that process. That's my client. Uh, so very good point. And let, me, let me make one more point with that, with, with the top salesperson, the top technician, the top information technology, network engineer, the top engineer, and we promote these people. And by the way, the Gallup group says we promote the wrong person 84% of the time, 84% of the time. And there's 30% of the people in an organization that could be good bosses. There's about 10% that could be great. Another 20% that could be good. We could put pull the names out of a hat and just with probability do a better job. You're going to beat 84%. That's right. It's terrible. <laughs> Why do we do it? Because we're promoting the wrong person. And, and here's the thing. I play national tennis with my son. He can hit this backhand angle with, you know, off, off, like almost off the ground and he hits it. And I'm like, how do you do that? He says, you just hit it. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, the ball's this high off the ground, the net's this high. and you're, you're, How do you do that? He says, you just hit it. You see, it's instinct. Often great salespeople, great technicians, great engineers have a tremendous amount of in inherent skill and talent that other people don't have. What's easy for me isn't easy for you. What's not easy for Peter and so on. You put them in a leadership position and they see people struggle with something that's easy for them, they get very frustrated, number one. And number two, they can't teach it because it's, it's automatic to them. So we end up picking the wrong person when we pick the best quite often. I've often, what I've done in my organizations is I dig into the organization and I find a mediocre, struggling salesperson with high emotional intelligence that has a great work ethic, understands the product line, the services, and the connection between the problems that customers have, the return on investment, and what we have to offer. And they're, they're struggled with the selling that and put them in the sales manager's role. <laughs> I love it. I love it. There's never any attention to that. We're going to re reward the person with the most and then put uh, that person who's been competing with you in a position to influence and mentor and guide you in your career. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, interesting, different perspective than what we often hear, Dr. McGrath. Very good. Uh, what's a little bit more insight? You know, we've heard of for a very long time, a lot of sales systems, they could be you know, the, the people you might know, the Zigglers, the Tracys, the even even people that have kind of almost like a, a system in place, the seven habits we hear of that. What's going to work for us if we're struggling to try and implement that either for ourselves as leaders or in an organization so we 
stop imitating behaviors and we start originating with process. And maybe a little bit of insight into yours as we start wrapping up here. Peter, you want to talk about that in sales a little bit? Well, well, I, I first wanted to go back and mention that you are 100% correct, Dr. Gary, on the questioning, because I was in a call yesterday, and uh, I tag team with somebody, uh, with my partner at Triangle AMA, with the prospective uh, new sponsor, and I automatically uh, just went into what the, what the program was and what we were doing and everything, and uh, kind of got like a like a lukewarm stare or whatever over the phone, you could tell. But then uh, my partner came in and said, well, let me ask you this. What are you trying to accomplish here by, you know, becoming a sponsor? And what are your goals to try to move forward? And, and what are you trying to do? Found out that he wanted to do brand expansion and recruitment. So after we got the information, I said, well, let's take that program aside because that's not going to work. And let's go to a traditional sponsorship because that's going to work better for you. So it was and it was a great back and forth, you know, yin yang type thing. But we found out, you know, it's better off to ask the questions. What are you trying to accomplish? Always. And, you know, and uh, because I, I had my thing, I went out there because that's what we were given and that's what we were trying to push. But at the same time, I think we don't care where the money comes from, whether it's for a PDP or a traditional sponsorship. You know, we just want to do what's right for the client. So automatically, I think it's right on target. And at the same time, we were listening while we after we asked the question. Excellent. So from a process standpoint, John, let me just give you one little uh, uh, touch of background because my undergraduate degree in my first 10 years in the business world was in manufacturing. I have a mechanical and metallurgical engineering degree. And I learned statistical process control in, in manufacturing. Statistical process control works very, very well in sales. When we talk about pipelines, the size of a job, how long it takes to close it, what's the close rate, um, and you can do some statistical analysis to try to understand the sales process in terms of uh, proposals, uh, phone calls, emails, and look at activity and messaging and questioning and skills that lead up to sales. And if you measure all these things, which by measuring them, you are creating a step-by-step -step process, you can then make corrections to the process without measurement. You can't correct it because you don't know where the problem is. Well, interestingly enough, with people development, it's no different. I'm going to use, again, Peter's idea of asking questions. Let's get really crazy about this sometimes. With a, a very mature sales team, I've done this myself both in my sales team and as a consultant, where I've established a baseline that's required in order for people to keep their job and then asked them how much more can they bring to the uh, business and how much money do they want to make? The thing about sales is you can determine your own salary if you sell enough. And interestingly enough, whatever the base was, and over, over time, the growth in an organization, one organization I worked with for five years, they kept increasing their growth and they were doubling in the fourth year the sales that they were committing to in the first year, doubling. The owner was making money. The business was profitable. And oh, by the way, this was during the last recession. So 
The idea here is asking the right questions by leaders, whether it's with salespeople, whether it's with technicians, whether it's with customer service people, involving them in understanding the responsibilities and expectations as Peter started with, and then looking at and outlining a process of skills development for each role in each situation. Then the leader can work on developing those skills with each person. And then guess what? It's easy to delegate because they have the competency to do the work. Hello. I learned I learned when I worked at Procter & Gamble for five years why Procter & Gamble is such a huge company today. I could see it back then when they were an $8 billion company. And now they're somewhere between 80 and $90 billion, uh, almost 30 years later. How did they create that kind of uh, uh, growth, tenfold growth in 30 years? Every single manager was taught skills regardless of whether they worked in product development, manufacturing, uh, marketing, sales. They were always learning skills. I can remember at 28 years old being handed a, a, a three-page paper by my boss and told, here, this is some information on giving and receiving feedback. I want you to do a class on this for an hour in two weeks. Nice. I was like, oh, okay, what do I know about this? I knew nothing. What's that got to do with my job? Exactly. <laughs> and, of course, it has to do with people. It's got everything to do with our job. And to this day, I remember many of the 13 uh, characteristics and guidelines of giving and receiving feedback. That would be a good blog, Dr. Gary. We can bring <laughs> that up. Uh, Peter, last words from you, and then uh, and uh, I'll just say one or two things and then let Gary uh, have the actual last words. Well, I was I was privileged to sit in one of Dr. Gary's workshops over at Triangle AMA. And, and the one thing I, I think towards the end, I think the one thing that really reached out to me was uh, when you had an issue with this company that had to get some things done and it would take about 24 hours, but they only had three to get it done. I, something like that to that effect and how. You uh, and everybody in that situation would just go nuts and get stressed out and everything. But no, you were the uh, you were the voice of reason. Calm down. Okay, what can we do in three hours? You know, because that at the end of the day, and what can we do great in three hours? So I always remember that that little uh, story that you told, which I thought was really great. Well, let me well, I I don't need to add much more to that. That's been it's been a great conversation. Uh, Dr. McGrath, go ahead. So and, uh, I'm, I'm going to pick right off of that, Peter, and here's what I'm going to finish with because in my uh, fifth step, which is on relationships, step one is purpose, step two is choice, step three is uh, strength, step four is organized, step five, relationships, step six is competencies, and step seven, execute. And under relationships, and that's what leadership is, my definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassionate accountability. And what we had in that situation that you're talking about, Peter, is yes, a very tight timeline where everybody was fighting. We brought him into the room and we asked the three questions and tried to clarify this between the executives and the web developers that were trying to launch this website. What do you like about this website so far? What would you do differently if you start over? And how can we help each other get the things done that need to get done? And when the team was brought together and started with the positive of what they like, understanding the difference in perception of what needed to be different, and then pulling together with a clear path over the next few hours 
of what it was going to take to achieve success. You're right. It, it was it wasn't that difficult to do. However, we need to understand the criticality of a situation. We need to be able to ask those three questions and facilitate the conversation in a positive way to achieve the outcome. And I believe that that facilitation skill, the ability to be able to facilitate any meeting, not lead it, not participate, not record it, not time it, but to facilitate the conversation is the most difficult skill to learn. And that is, to me, one of the primary skills that all leaders and managers in organizations need to learn. Excellent. Gentlemen, let's continue this conversation. We will have another topic of interest focused on leadership, careers, advancement, and more next week. Uh, we'll for sure be on, I'll be on, I know, at 4 p.m. on Wednesday. Please join us, Dr. Gary McGrath. Peter Agioflacides, great to have you today. Excellent input. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you, Dr. Gary. Thank you, Peter.